This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to season two of Fail Harder, the podcast where I chat to people at the top of their game about failure, from their first memory of failure to how they cope with it now. So this season is, of course, brought to you in isolation. I am currently sitting in my aunt and uncle's sitting room in Tipperary. I wanted to get a new season out as quickly as I could because I feel that so many of our lives have been turned upside down because of COVID-19 and feelings of failure are more prevalent than ever. So now my guest. Joining me in isolation today, I have the absolutely lovely Caroline Foran. If I see a photo now of me in 60, I don't know who that person is. And I just wish I could go back and give her a hug and tell her it's, it's you know, you're going to be okay. And you don't need to not have fear and you don't need to not not be a worrier or not have anxiety to be able to you know really thrive in life as well. Caroline is the international best-selling author of Owning It and the Confidence Kit. Caroline is also a number one podcaster, award-winning journalist and public speaker but today Caroline is not here to talk about success, she's here to talk about failure. Caroline. Hello, thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. I am delighted that you agreed to do the podcast. As I was saying just before, with your book and your own podcast, I feel like you're so prepared for a failure podcast. I'm very well prepared for a failure podcast because I feel very familiar with failure and very uh, okay with it. So hopefully I won't be too much of a failure in talking about failure. For real, that's what I want to hear. And congratulations as well on your pregnancy. Thank you so much. Thank Is you. My first baby, so two mm-hmm. months to go. Two months, so you're in your third yeah. trimester. Exciting. Yes. How are you feeling? I'm feeling okay. I had a very tough pregnancy. It's getting a little bit easier now in terms of like the sickness and stuff. Um, but it's it's not easy being pregnant. And it, for something that's so natural, apparently, it's really, I'm like, what? It's really <laughs> hard for women. And I think, yeah, so I'm looking forward to obviously the baby coming but I'm really looking forward to not having to being a vessel to this thing inside me that's taking all of my energy all the time totally fair like I always think that people talk about you know pregnancy and so natural but like it's like such a short amount of time and like your whole body changes and like mentally you have to prepare to bring another human into the world like that's like exciting but really overwhelming it's yeah it's probably more overwhelming than it is exciting and my body is kind of funny in that it can't really tell the difference between between excitement and fear sometimes so even when I am excited about something I'll start to feel like I'm I'm oh I'm about to give a presentation or something and I need to remind myself that it's it's similar what's happening in my body is a similar feeling but it's actually a positive not always a negative yes has the like coronavirus situation kind of 
hinder the pregnancy a bit like you know your appointments and things like that yeah. has it interfered no it's not really like it's it's been obviously it's been difficult that my husband hasn't been able to come with me to the appointments but that's just for him it's been kind of sad mm. that he couldn't be there um it's been hard not seeing my my family and my parents they live down in dingle so i haven't they my mom kind of would like to be there for the journey and you know she hasn't felt uh. like or anything and and um, but but in, in other ways it's actually kind of afforded me a chance to slow down and, and to rest without feeling like I'm missing out on anything or you know so so actually it's been it's been a, a good time to be pregnant but wouldn't wouldn't have been a good time if, if you had a baby at the beginning of the pandemic when you yeah. couldn't see anyone and when you really need support um, but I've no excuse but to nap all the time so it's great absolutely that's brilliant <laughs> all right yeah. let me just explain the format of the podcast before we begin Okay. So I have 20 questions numbered at random in front of me. Most are straightforward. However, some are a little unconventional and in the spirit of failure and trying to assert control over what life might throw at us, you can pick the numbers. Okay. So between one and 20. Between one and 20. Okay. I'm going to go with 11. Number 11. What is your earliest memory of failure? Oh, wow. Um, I would say my earliest memory of failure is if I go back to when I was doing ballet lessons as a child and it was the kind of thing that I was, I don't even remember if I really enjoyed it, but it was, you know, your parents just put you into certain classes. And I remember having this realization that I wasn't really very good at it. And that knowing feeling of if I'm not going to succeed at something or be, be like the best, I don't want to do it. And I remember doing an exam. I, I only did it till I was maybe 11 or 12, but doing an exam and not doing particularly well in it. I mean, like just having the awareness to, at that age to be like, why am I putting myself through this <laughs> just to go, you know, on, it's not even necessary for school or anything. And, um, I probably wasn't, I wasn't comfortable with the idea of in my head, you know, I didn't fail or anything, but I, did, I wasn't a star star ballet dancer I wasn't going to be in the mm. Russian ballet basically and so for me I remember just this feeling of being like I don't want to do this anymore I, and, and, and to this day if I'm not good at something I don't want to do it and were you able to kind of communicate that you wanted to give up to your parents yeah I was yeah like I did other things like I had piano going on all through my life and I think I think like even now for me thinking about when I have you know my child and my husband's like I wonder what he'll be into and like I'm sure we'll just like throw him into loads of things and, and let him decide um, mm. but it, you know if it's causing you any if, if you're not enjoying it and it was like you know Saturday afternoons and I was like I'm going in to do this thing and like I'd rather be at home with my friends and I'm not even very good so I'm not getting that feeling of like achievement mm. so I just said I just was like I don't really want to do this anymore and I was very lucky to have supportive parents who, who were like yeah Grant okay that's no problem they weren't pressuring me and you know I still had other bits going on and they were probably delighted to save on the, the fees as well. that's great like I found um when I was a kid I had this thing that I just thought that you can't, kind of weren't allowed to give up something you didn't like yeah and I, my biggest memory is the violin. So I was learning the violin as a kid and, you know, I kept going, I was so bad. Like I had no natural talent for the violin. I just hated it. I never practiced. Like I was never getting better because I just, I didn't get any joy from the violin, but I kept going and going. And then I was about, I was about 15. And I think my teacher said something like, she was probably just like, what are you doing? And then I remember like, saying it to my parents like you know maybe I should just give it up 
they were yeah, like well like you have that power like. yeah and I, I did then I gave it up and like I literally I swear to you that I have never picked the violin up once since like what a waste of money well I mean I think it's really good in that like it you know it makes you become aware of what you don't want and like mm. it, it obviously you were very young so you wouldn't have probably been able to assert yourself and now you, you know you wouldn't go through something like that for for a longer period of time now now you just know you're responsible for your own time you have that autonomy and that power and so I think it is still a worthwhile experience to, mm. to know what you don't want yeah, I know I do think, and I think that that was a, a pivotal moment for me, just giving that up and being like, actually, there's so much power in, you know, obviously there's an element of you to keep trying at something as well, but then there's the moment when, you know, this isn't working out and I should just leave this. It's not making me happy. Yeah, and that can be, you know, feel like failure, but actually it's actually a success in terms of like you taking control of your life, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. so it depends on how you look at it. Were you a competitive child? No, I don't think I was, I wasn't competitive in, in like sports or any kind of um, social stuff like that. But I would, I would, I'd say I'm a competitive person now, now, but I don't, I don't know that I would have been a competitive child. No, I don't think anyone would have described me that way. I think if something wasn't working out, I'd be like, I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, more like that than, than I wouldn't be like the coming first in races and stuff like that. No, I just, and I wasn't very physically arsed either with like... Mm or anything so that's interesting that you feel like you're competitive now like I think people kind of usually it's the other way around yeah yeah I yeah I think I I I became competitive in not not like with specific people but maybe with myself but just in terms of like career and stuff Mm. and and yeah I think it's probably I, I some people now my friends maybe say like and it's kind of like motivation blurring with competitiveness sometimes yeah um, but I, yeah, I definitely think it's something that when, when I, when it was, when it came to me that I really cared about, I'd probably be competitive. Whereas I just didn't really care about a lot of the stuff I was, that kids would be competitive about. Yeah. And I suppose like now you have kind of a lot of things going on. The first book went so well, and now you've got two more books after that, that probably when you've got the kind of momentum of, you know, people are really engaging with your materials yeah. that you're probably like, I want to get the next thing out now. It gives you that kind of push. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, 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 every time I write a book, I'm like, I'm not doing this again. This is torture. It's so, it's, it's such an isolating experience. You never feel like you're good enough. You always feel like this is a lot of crap. Why am I doing this? And then you, you finish it and then you're like, I need to do another one because now three is not enough. Now it has to be four or five. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I would be competitive with, with myself. I think. Mm. Has the coronavirus impacted your third book coming out? Yes. So it was supposed to come out in May and I was all set for, all the publicity and I kind of built my year around it because obviously the baby was coming and I was like this is going to be my big anchor work-wise and then I'll have you know things taken over and it will look like I'm still kind of working but I'm going to sort of back away from from the the front line mm. and then because of the virus they my publishers decided to hold off until January next year um and I, I completely understand like it's you know their priority is, is sales and the bookstores aren't open and there's just a lot of like an awful lot of messaging at the moment it'll probably just get lost in the mix so I was I was upset about it and then I just got over it and now I'm fine with it yeah okay cool yeah it would be a strange time to release it I mean to give it its kind of best chance I suppose it is better when the yeah and I think January is probably a good time of year when people are hopefully will be a little bit more progressed out of this and um people are ready to kind of you know at the moment I think we're in survival mode we don't really we're not we don't really want to like 
think about personal development really or well I, I don't I, I try to take the pressure off myself to think about you know behaviors or things that I want to like change or, or in, in, even in a nice way I, I just think it's a matter at the moment of with so much coming at us just getting through each day yeah no I totally agree have you heard of um I actually took oh no I can't even think of the proper name of it but it's the like something's pyramid of needs do you know what I'm talking about where it's like how you it's like at the bottom is like your basic things like you know food like having enough money shelter and then like the top of the pyramid is like you know like self-development and like reaching your goals Mm -hmm. and stuff but I think at the moment people are just kind of having to focus on the bottom like just trying to get through each day exactly survive as you said yeah yeah and that's enough you know and there's plenty of time to get back to thinking about you know the bigger picture most people are just trying to hold on to their jobs and you know it's and, and and just to manage the anxiety that everyone is feeling with all this unknown and this uncertainty and Mm. Um, and I and I think that is is for, for I think at the beginning everyone was like there was a lot of like hashtag stay productive hashtag be productive and I I myself like wrote a list of like I'm going to learn Italian and I'm going to do this and then I was like I don't actually it's not even about having the time to do stuff it's about having I would say the cognitive bandwidth to take something on and when all of your your actual resources are depleted by the stress of what's going on you just need to just take care of yourself and that's and if you can do that alone you do you come out of it having done well I think yeah absolutely I I have like a a page up on the fridge of the things that I wanted to achieve during lockdown and I've done like two I'm like That's okay two you know more what? than Fine. me yeah yeah <laughs> you know I started off when it started when the whole thing started I was like yeah I'll get so much like amazing stuff done and then you know it's just it's harder to find that motivation to you know learn the whatever <laughs> exactly yeah I know and there's no need to like what are we what are we trying to prove you know <laughs> yeah yeah what are we trying to prove all right well we move on to the next number yes okay what number okay I'll, I'm gonna go with five number five okay think back to your final year in secondary school how yeah. did you pick your pick uh, excuse me there's a failure think back to your final year in secondary school how did you picture your future then is that picture different to your life now Oh, massively. Um, I would say in sixth year of school, I was, without identifying it as such, I was a very in a very anxious phase of my life. I um, very much lived within a tight parameters of my comfort zone. I always, I had a lot of tummy troubles for my last few years in school, which I now realize were part gut issues, part anxiety, but one fueled the other. And I... I just was so disconnected from my peers at the time in terms of like them wanting to go traveling and have all these experiences in life. And I just was terrified. I was consumed with anxiety, but I didn't understand it. I didn't know why. And I felt like a failure for all of that because I felt different to everyone else. Mm. And I couldn't really cope with thoughts of the future, to be honest. I mean, even thinking ahead to college, I was just thinking I need to just go do a course that I can cope with doing that's not too far from home because I I like even now it's crazy to think back of how limited my existence was like I wouldn't even so I was I lived pretty much beside DCU and I went to DCU I wouldn't even go to an open day in UCD because I just thought that's too far away and that's that's how gripped that's how much anxiety had a hold on me and so to think of about I, I suppose yeah the, the, the future terrified me then and um, I certainly even in college then never thought I would be where I am now um, and 
having had to, I suppose, go through something, like let that anxiety come full circle and, and get to the point that it was so bad that I had to address it and go, go through it and learn about it. And then in a way, the hardest thing that I've gone through has actually given me the path that I'm on and has, and now, I'm, I'm thir- I was only 32 last weekend, I think probably turning 30, it really only now do I feel like I'm really content and like okay with with who I am whereas I think for so long especially at that age it's such a tough age Mm. I mean I had everything going for me like no one would have thought I had any reason and I didn't think I had any reason to feel the way I felt but I just didn't I never felt well and then I felt nervous and I didn't want to be anywhere and I wanted to just be with my mom all the time and I just felt so weird for being that way and it just just fed itself more and more so I don't even recognize, the, if I see a photo now of me in 60, I don't know who that person is. And I just wish I could go back and give her a hug and tell her it's, it's you know, you're going to be okay. And you don't need to not have fear and you don't need to not, not be a worrier or not have anxiety to be able to, you know, really thrive in life as well. Mm. I always think, um, I think it was uh, maybe the first episode of your podcast and you were talking about kind of your journey with anxiety and how you know it wasn't when you were younger it wasn't a thing in Ireland that people spoke about that you weren't even no. aware of what it was and I just think that that must have been like so traumatic to have had that you know for so long and not have known what it was whereas now I find like you know back a couple of years ago I went through like a mad anxious period just kind of it happened more so like out of the blue and you know it hadn't really happened before but yeah. I was able to quickly recognize what it was and I had friends who, you know, I could speak to about it and like it was kind of everywhere in the media of what you should do, mm-hmm. you know, um, if you're feeling anxious. So I was quickly able to address it and do something about it. That's amazing. And that's mm. like so much of my goal with like everything that I do is to normalize it to such an extent that people are so familiar with it that they're not afraid of it and that when they do find themselves in an anxious phase, they don't have to plummet to the depths that... I kind of did or some people have had to, to before they even know what they're dealing with so that you know because anxiety is a very normal thing it's a very normal feeling we're, we're all it's not, it's not like a mental illness it's an emotional distress response to things going on in our lives and you know it, we're all susceptible to it and when you don't understand something it's scary no matter what is what it is the fear is in the unknown and so I'm delighted that, you know, you were obviously crapped that you had to go through that experience, but amazing that it was, it was so there, you know, for the taking that you could understand it straight away. And that understanding of it is so much more than half the battle. Mm. Whereas when I was, you know, even I was like 20, 25, 20, 24, 25, when I felt at my worst and it was like those, and that's not that long ago, like the, the really was you know, people were like only putting up their best bits in social media. There was, you didn't never talked about, you know, the bad stuff. And I mean, I remember kind of friends when I started to open up about it and talk about it, my friends were like, are you sure you want to put that out there? And there was such a disconnect between like, we just had no willingness to be vulnerable. It was, you know, always mm. put your best, never air your dirty laundry in public and all of that compounded. So no matter what the anxiety you were feeling was about, even if it was something tangible like a specific job, the cultural environment around mental health was so unsupportive that it, even if it started off as anxiety about one thing, it became anxiety about feeling like there was something wrong with you. 
because you weren't like every you weren't like everyone else seemed to be. And I really thought I was on my own in it, and I couldn't believe when when the book when the first book came out, and that was two thousand and seventeen. And I, when it came out, it was like number one for sixteen weeks. I was like, what? Like, and I can't. I still to this day, I'm like, I can't believe how many people, how how much I thought that I was a weirdo. Mm. And how many people are, were, were struggling and, and hopefully are less so now because they have the resources. And mm. um, it's crazy though. I wanted to ask you, um, like, I think what you do is like incredible. And like so many people go to your books and your podcast for help. And, you know, as you said, like, you're so surprised at how many people bought the book. But like, yeah. obviously you, you know, in your life now, you're putting yourself, your vulnerability out there to the world. Like, do you find that that can be draining on you sometimes or does that kind of spur you on no um I don't find it draining at all I because I think I've always been um it's always been my coping mechanism to share and Mm. to have what I'm going through or what I'm feeling reflected back to me in someone else so you know I I it's not like oh people say like oh you're you know you're brave I don't feel brave I feel like I'm like hey I feel like this does anyone else (laughs) and that's when when people say like oh because I'm looking for people to normalize it with me Mm -hmm. and then and for my vocalizing it and putting it out there and taking it out of me it, it becomes something that stops kind of swirling around in my head and and it's just that feeling of like we're all in it together and I'm like and it's as much people say like, oh, you know, you're helping other people by letting them feel that they're not the only person. But it's also everything I do is very much therapeutic for me mm. personally in that I always the first thing I do now whenever I have like an anxious wave and they're becoming less and less is I, you know, I actually think, OK, well, I'm going to share this. And even by doing that, I instantly feel like I've labeled it, I've normalized it, I've put it out there. And I know that's kind of my thing now. It would be different if I was like working as a solicitor. I probably wouldn't be coming into work every day and, you know, saying, I had a panic attack last night. Yeah. Um, but I've never felt, I, I, I've, well, I obviously had an initial fear about like showing any vulnerability because I didn't understand it then. And, and it was very much, like I say, like, you know, not the done thing. Whereas now I am such a firm believer that, like a willingness to like embrace my own vulnerability has really brought me so many more opportunities and like improved my relationships with people improved my even like professionally I I think people think that there's you know there's you can't have professionalism and vulnerability in the same picture and I believe that you absolutely can Mm. because we're all human and I especially think the pandemic is proving that how much we're all so vulnerable and we're all trying to you know like even with coming on zoom and trying to not have like your dirty laundry in the background or whatever <laughs> like we're all realizing that we're all just trying to cope and, and it, we're all so afraid of vulnerability yet if we get to a point where we realize that it's what we have in common and we let ourselves off the hook for it everything gets easier mm. so um so you're never trying to be something that you're not then and and so for me it's a no-brainer mm. do you find you know obviously you've written about kind of different coping mechanisms and things like that do you find you're generally now you're good at like going straight to kind of what you should do or do you sometimes fall back into like old oh habits? yeah oh definitely like I I definitely would be guilty of thinking that because I've written books about it or because I have the podcast that I should be smart enough to be able to say <laughs> no you're not going to feel anxious I'm not going to entertain this and I have to be reminded sometimes I need to remind myself but sometimes my husband will remind me because he, he can see it sometimes before I can see it that, well, you need to kind of practice what you preach there. You need to get the pen and paper and actually look at the thoughts you're having and be like, 
you know, where are these coming from? And because one of the biggest learnings I've had is that there's such a massive difference between knowing and feeling. So I can, I can know, I can say, okay, I know I'm having an anxious wave or I know that these different things have gone on that made me feel anxious. But just because you know that doesn't mean you can just turn it off. Your body is reacting to stress and anxiety and it's going to take a while. So sometimes the, the physical symptoms of anxiety are offering you a narrative that feels real. So you need to take time to work through those. So I, I, I as much today as ever, need to be mindful and I'll always go back to utilizing my skills. And like in the, in the first book, I came up with the assess and address approach to anxiety. And I, I to this day, I'm, and I'm actually delighted that sometimes I need to use it because it reminds me that it's actually helpful. Mm. And it's what got me out of the first initial hole. But it's something I go back to again and again to be like, okay, so what's going on? Why, are, why might I be feeling this way? What vulnerability factors are at play here? Um, and it could be such as, okay, well, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so there's kind of a constant low-lying level of anxiety that's colouring everything we experience right now. Mm. And then, okay, you're pregnant or you're, you know, you're getting closer to your due date. And of course, that's, of course that's anxiety-inducing. So I start to kind of look at the picture of what's going on. And obviously, I understand how anxiety happens in the body and brain now. And I understand the mechanics of it. And I understand the hormones involved. And that was a huge part of it. And then the assess part is, okay, well, what can I do now? what can I do about that? So I have to constantly, well, whenever I feel it, I have to apply those techniques to myself. Um, and I think that's the key. It's not like, I guess I felt pressure when the book came out or when I was writing it and people always ask, or maybe assume that it's cured or it's gone, but it's, mm. it's really like owning it and, and, and like living with as a human being is about, and, and even like emotional resilience and everything. It's about being able to bend and flow with, with what we go through as it happens and let it happen and, and you know, to know how to respond to it as opposed to never feeling it. Because mm. if, you, if you try to never feel it, you're going to feel it. And you're going to put yourself under so much pressure. So, so true. So I don't consider myself, I would have maybe thought back in the day, right, when I was kind of coming out of the anxiety or coming out of that really dark phase, that if I felt it again, that meant I'd failed. And of course, that's like, oh, you've gone backwards, you've learned nothing. And that was just going to fuel more and more anxiety. And now I realize it, failure doesn't come into it. It's, it's a human physical response to an emotional response to what's going on in our lives. Couldn't be brought about by any number of reasons. And it's not, it, it's, it's just about dealing with it when it comes as, as a human response. That's very normal as opposed to never feeling it at all. Mm. Uh, so I've, I've completely moved away from the concept of, of failure when it comes to, to mental health. Yeah. It's the only, you, you, you will, you'll struggle and you'll suffer if you ever, if you, if you equate failure to your mental health. Absolutely. And I think, um, I think what you said about like having the tools is so important. Like I think that if for me, even just learning a few things that if you do feel anxious or you're kind of overwhelmed or whatever, that when you have the tools and now sometimes the tools just fall away and I just I'm like but most of the time I'm generally good at being like okay what do I need to do now and I'm yeah. actually really grateful that that kind of happened to me you know at a young age whereas I now I can manage that you going through life or even if somebody else is going through a tough time in their life that you can you know connect with them and kind of help them 
Oh, absolutely. It's, mm. it's so important. And like the first, you know, when you don't know what you're dealing with, it, it's terrifying. But then when you start to recognize it, the experiences become smaller and smaller because you're like, okay, I've kind of been here before. I see this pattern. I know that for a few days, I'm going to think the worst case scenario. And I know I'm going to come out of it. So I'm just going to let it just happen. And mm. then, you know, with your friends, because you, you have empathy, you know, you, they're not, your friends aren't necessarily looking for you to solve the problem. They just want you to say, yeah, I get it. And it's, it is kind of crappy when you're going through it, but you'll come out of it too. And that empathy and that shared vulnerability is the greatest tool we have. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Next number. Okay. I'm going to go with 13. Number 13. Okay. Have you any past failure that you look back on now and say, thank fuck that didn't work out? Oh my gosh, so many. Um, <laughs> oh God, there's so many that I would have thought of as failures. Uh, well, I suppose the most recent one was, and um, something I've been thinking about recently was um, when, and, I, and again, maybe the word failure is a bit harsh on myself here, but I went to America last year when my books came out over there. Mm. And I was full of the, I'm going to break America. I'm going to give this my best shot kind of, go get them attitude and I I really realized when I was there um it's just an awful lot of bullshit in the industry and not a lot of genuine like authenticity as we might have over here and I met up with an awful lot of people like as in I, I like found different editors and different people who I took out for brunch and dinners and I spent a fortune all of my own money because I was like I'm not a company or anything to try and you know get connected with the right people and not a single person, everyone was like, you're amazing. You're going to be this, you're going to do that. Like, I'm going to help you with this. And I was like, oh my God, this might actually really happen. Like this could, and my also, I also was very, I was kind of misunder- misunderstood the, the scenario in terms of like royalties over there. And I thought that you actually can earn an awful lot more over there just because it's in America. And, but I was completely wrong. So I thought, okay, well, if I sold extra books, that's, I could earn 80% of each book. But actually I was, was 8% of each book. No way. Yeah. So I was, so I had the numbers all wrong. So I was like, well, of course I'm going to throw everything out and give it my best shot. I could make an awful lot of money here. Mm. Then when I came back and nothing had really happened, you know, I, I, I'd had a good experience, but nobody, like not a single person got back to me. Not a single person followed through on anything that they said. Um, I realized very quickly that there was such a sense of, okay, well, what's in it for them? Because if there's, if there's nothing there, you're you're not going to, there's not, there's not as much a willingness to kind of just pay it forward I think in America Mm. unfortunately and I the books I mean barely made a dent and I think now because of the podcast I've got got a big audience in America now it's picking up um and I I suppose I considered it a bit of a a bit of a failure in that okay I was a rude awakening being like okay it's so hard it's so unlikely to happen you know to get to, to to break through over there it's just you'd need whatever no matter about the quality of the books or your hard work or anything or what you have to offer you need a bit of luck you need someone like a fucking kardashian to just pick it up one day post about it and then you're laughing and i remember my so i was there for a couple of weeks and then my husband came over and joined me for the last weekend and at this point i was you know i had met with different agents who were like you know you need to be in amazing hands and i'm gonna you know all this stuff that i was like yeah I didn't go over there thinking that but they like made me think that way that i was and then i was like what if we move here you know, what if we, you know, we're both young, we're, we're, we're married, we don't have kids and we, you know, this is, we have one life, like one, cause my, my husband works in Intel. I was like, you could get another job over here. And we were going into like Trader Joe's in Brooklyn being like, this would be our local. And this, we were looking at real estate. 
And I just got so carried away with the whole idea of it. And I remember feeling so unbelievably disappointed when I came back. And I was like, there's literally nothing else I can do. Like I had, I had sent so many people flowers. I had sent calligraphy, handwritten letters to different oh. people who I thought would, you know, like you just, and you're basically just a needle in a haystack of like, nobody cares. They're so used to getting everything sent to them. You, like it's near impossible. And it was just so, it was so disheartening. It was mm. such a disheartening feeling. But then only recently I was having the conversation with him uh, where I eventually kind of just said, okay, look, I can't, I have to focus on what I can control and let go of what I can't. Mm. And I couldn't control, I, I can't control anything happening with the books outside of Dublin or Ireland or, you know, I, mm. I, I had done, I'd given it my best shot. It hadn't worked out, you know, in, immediately and that's okay. So I, I, you know, I ended up parking the idea. We stopped thinking about New York. We decided to, to just forge ahead and then obviously I'm this year got pregnant in towards the end of last year. And I was just thinking the other day, like with the pandemic and everything, like if we had have done that, I moved over there. Well, obviously I probably would have delayed having, having a child, but Barry, my husband would have quit his really fantastic, secure job in Intel. Mm. We would have been over there. Nothing would have happened for me because I, as a freelancer, I mean, it would have all gone to shit. We'd be paying extortionate rent he he probably had gotten let go from his job because he would have been the last person in the door. And I was just like, you know what? Actually, that was a blessing that those people dicked me around a bit. And Imagine never being in America right now as well. Oh, like, it was just I know. Not good. I just, it just seems like the most... Hmm. I, I, it's actually horrifying. And I was like, I really felt that I'd failed in, in my endeavours there. I don't think of it that way anymore. But, but I'm actually so grateful that it, I didn't get... If I had even 10% of a bite... I would have taken it and run yeah. and I would have been, I would, and I really, really love my life. My like simple, very normal, simple, small life here in Dublin. And I don't need to take over America with my books <laughs> to feel like successful or to, you know, to feel happy. So I'm just, yeah, that's something I'm really glad didn't work out. Yeah. The expectations versus reality is something like I struggle with so much. Like I build up you know what something will be like and then when it doesn't work out I find the reality of it so hard sometimes you know you're like this is gonna go great um you know this like for example I actually moved to London in January myself my boyfriend moved over you know real excited saved up money bloody blah we got over there and I was actually finding it quite hard to get work I thought I'd just kind of walk into a job or whatever uh no he got a job all right but we kind of had just set ourselves up it was like two months of kind of getting set up then it was like coronavirus <laughs> it's like yeah, oh, I had finally gotten time. a job and it was like right that job's gone now and oh. we were like okay let's come home so now we're home like I'm back in Tipperary I'm not even in Dublin like Dublin is where yeah. I've been living for the last few years like in my aunt and uncle's house and like at first I was like oh well this is terrible and like what we're going to do about London but now I'm kind of just learning to accept it. And I actually, like day to day at the moment, I feel very content in a strange yeah. way. You know? Yeah, I think the pandemic has done that. It's, it's taken us, you know, back to really what's important. And mm. like everyone is, has been affected by it in some way. And initially the pressure is I'm not where I need to be or I'm not where I, sh- I think I should be or expected to be. But wherever you are, it's fine. And when things come pick back up again, you'll get back to where you want to be and maybe you'll have a re- renewed sense of, well, do, is that really what I wanted? Yeah. Did I want, did I want yeah. to be there? So I think it's it kind of, a, it's a forced pause for reflection that a lot of people can probably do it and 
you know, weren't getting the opportunity to, to take stock of where they were and what they were doing. So, yeah. And I think that like, especially, you know, the younger generation, it's like, how many things can you do in, in like such a small, like try to do everything, like, you know, travel the world, have an amazing career, have a class, social life, all of it. Like, and oh, it, you know, the so pressure much. of social media as well on people. Whereas I do think like from talking to all my friends and stuff that people are like, Re- finding that they're actually really happy doing so much less and they don't need to have like these amazing lives with like epic social lives etc yeah I really feel that when you social media has made it r- very hard but when you make your world a little bit smaller you and you actually the contentment is so much easier to achieve you know really how much money do you need to earn to live the life that you want you don't need hundreds of thousands of euro how, how, how many people in your life, how many relationships do you need that make you feel valued? And that, you know, it's actually, it's, it's a small handful of things that put together a life of contentment, which we're now being exposed to. And I think that for me, that's been, a, a re- I'm really grateful for that, having had that awareness now, you know, like just, it's, it's important to, to, to realize how lucky we are and, mm-hmm. and privileged we are. And, yeah, I just, I think there will be as, as awful as it's been, obviously there's people dying, it's, it's ruined the economy, but I think there is some benefits to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally agree. Shall we pick, move on to the next number? Yes. Okay. Um, what have I not done? Uh, go with number one. Number one. Okay. This is a trivia question. Oh God. General knowledge, kind of more pop culture. Well, I've done so many bloody quizzes in the lockdown. I should know something <laughs> by now. Yeah. This is what I think for the podcast because there's been so many quizzes. I was like, I have so much material. <laughs> um, okay. What one major thing do Judy Garland, Barbara Streisand and Lady Gaga have in common? Like, it's not as obvious as like, they all sing. Yeah, no, it's, it's like a major thing that they all did. They all failed. <laughs> I don't know. Too easy. They all played the leading role in A Star is Born. Uh, yeah. Should have known that. There you go. Oh, it's okay, I'll remember that for my next quiz. Next quiz, that can be your question. Yeah. All right. Next number. Nine. <laughs> number nine. What has been your biggest lockdown failure? Um, well, probably achieving nothing that I set out to achieve in lockdown. <laughs> um, and you know, do you know what my biggest lockdown failure has been? Because I don't think it's fair. I mean, I think it would be wrong of me to look at those things as, as failures. Mm. Not a, not allowing myself to not feel guilty about the fact that I'm not achieving things or I'm not being really overproductive or, you know, to, like we know how important it is to rest and reset and take time. And I'm acutely aware of it now. I'm like, you're going to have a bloody screaming newborn baby any minute now, rest. And I, mm. haven't, been allow- I haven't allowed myself to do it without asking for permission like even saying you know to Barry and like I'm like oh come on I'm just really tired and he's like are you looking for permission to go for a nap because you don't need to ask and I'm like yeah but I just feel like I should be doing something else or Mm. you know like so that's been my failure is is not kind of relishing the opportunity and it's it's not good enough to you know we need rest but what's the point of taking a rest if you're going to beat yourself up about it yeah that's probably finish are you kind of a person that you always feel like you need to be busy and achieving things in life 
Yeah, I think so. And I'm also a very sleepy person, so they don't go together very well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think like working for myself and there's always a feeling of like, I need to be producing stuff and I need to like have something to show for my day. Otherwise, what have I done or am I just complete like taking the piss, you know? Mm. So, and that's something I've struggled with since going freelance where I feel like I'm, you know, you're measuring your, your success in, in, in time. Whereas now my, I've tried really hard to change my approach to focus not on the amount of hours I spend doing something, but my output. So like, you know, it might take me an hour to do something in a day and I might've done a project in an hour that's actually, you know, really worthwhile and be then have freedom for the rest of the day. But I still feel like, oh, does that mean I'm not, should I be sitting in for eight hours a day? Because that's how we've been all kind of brought up mm. to believe is that, but that's how you're productive. But actually I was so much less productive when I was working in an office. Um, but just because you're locked to your desk for, with, with certain, in certain hours, you feel like, oh, I'm at work. But so now it's, it's a different, much a different style. But like when I sit down to work, I'm really focused. And when I'm not working, I need to allow for that. And it doesn't mean that I'm any less of a hard worker. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So there's that. And then there's the, when I take a rest, I, I don't need to, I don't need to feel guilty about it. You know, none of us do. Hmm. When did you decide to go freelance completely? Um, I went freelance in, I think it was like March, 2016. Okay. And do you like, I always find that people who work totally freelance, I, I would find it very hard because you are, you know, you are trying to make yourself have like, you know, a working day. And then, as you said, trying to not punish yourself if you're yeah. doing what you're supposed to be doing. Like, I think that that must... I've, I, so I've given up on that in terms yeah. of like a, a working day and I just have on my to-do list and my things okay. that I need to do. And there's kind of immediate things to do. And there's, you know, work that you actually have going on at the moment, like such as, for example, at the moment, I'm working with a medical company on a copywriting project. And that would kind of be like at the top of the priority list because someone is waiting on me I, I'm accountable to someone and um, to send something back and then there's stuff that I'm working on myself that is you know I don't get paid for but it, it might turn into something someday or mm. the pod, you know the investment in the time of the podcast so it's really yeah I've, I've I'm slowly it's taken a long time and that's why I think there's so much anxiety right now for people working from home because they've been thrust into it with no choice in the matter mm. and no time to adjust and it takes a long time to adjust it takes a long time to trust yourself and allow yourself to find your own rhythm and your own way of doing things. And um, we try too much to apply the standard working model, nine to five office environment to a home life. And it doesn't necessarily translate very well. And it certainly won't translate well when I have a baby in the picture. Mm. And so, yeah, so for me, it's been a real much bigger, bigger difference to focus on output as opposed to hours spent doing something. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to look at it. Are you... Are you good with not like thinking about what jobs you're going to be doing then in the future? Obviously, do you know when you don't have the security of I go to my yeah. job, I have a contract, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I'm noticing a pattern now. I mean, like I don't, I've never really done anything on contract, but it's just, it's either, it feels like there's more work than you can handle or there's not enough. And you're like, fuck, I'm going to have to get a full-time job. What am I going to do? <laughs> and it's just, it's up and down, up and down and up and down. And that's just the nature of it. And when, once you've had a couple of ups and downs and you start to realize that when you're down, you will come back up or that when you're up, not to get too high and mighty because you're probably, you know, you could lose something or you could have five or six things going on and then like three of them drop away. And you're, you know, so it's, you're on the edge all the time, but it's, there's a lot, it's really exciting to me now. Like anytime I get an email, it could be an opportunity. 
um, I can create an awful lot of opportunities for myself. And that's mostly what I've done is, is I haven't been approached to do things. I've literally gone out and, and created them and, and pitched things and got things happening for me based on years of experience and building a reputation and having a track record. And mm. obviously the books and stuff have helped. Um, but I need, yeah, it's, it's not, you do, you, you learn to kind of be in, okay, well, I'm in this month now and I, I can see that there's, there's a few things happening. I'm not going to think about November because I like there could be nothing going on, but mm. it's but that kind of little bit of fear motivates you to keep um, hustling and keep pursuing things when mm. you can't be thinking you can't really think long term. And I always just say to myself, like worst case scenario, I could probably just go back and get a full time job doing something, you know. So yeah, give it a go until such a point that it's really not working for you. Absolutely. And do you find the kind of time on your own? Then are you good with the time on your own, or do you kind of crave the human connection during the day at any stage? Um, I find that I really need to be alone to do any actual work now. I, like I can't imagine being in an office and not being distracted by everything going on around me. I'm, I quite like my own company, but I'm, I, I think I would describe myself as like an ambivert. So kind of, I need to charge as an introvert. Like, so I, my, I charge my batteries by being alone. Mm. but I need little doses of being with people. So like when we're not in pandemic, my week would be very much, you know, balanced between maybe like, one or two days where I'm, I'm alone for most of the day and then I'd always have different coffee meetings and stuff just to just to, to prevent myself from getting too isolated you know yes. because that can happen that can happen easily and then you're like a bit of a hermit or you feel a bit lonely or a bit low so it's just that balance whereas and now I've been lucky that my husband's working from home so I've had company and it's been nice to have lunch with someone and mm. um you know so but I am I, I do think you need, if you're going to work solo and especially when you're writing like writing is a very isolating experience you need to, you need to be comfortable be comfortable with that but it's something that you can get comfortable with yeah absolutely and when the baby comes will you take a little bit of time then completely out of the yeah I'm, I'm I'm hoping <laughs> like it's no I like I I guess it's I have this fear of like taking myself out of everything completely and then struggling to get back into stuff. Okay, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but I also want to, I really don't want to pressure myself to do anything other than survive and keep the three of us alive for the first while. So yeah. Um, so I am, I'm feeling a bit of pressure now to, to try and like get my ducks in a row before he comes. I don't know how it, like feasible that will be. I think everyone still feels like what is going on when, when it happens. Um, but then I think in my head mentally, I'm probably going to think about like January when the book comes out as kind of like back to send me back to work mode and give myself yeah. August to, to Christmas to, to just find my feet. And I'm sure there'll be little bits and bobs that I'm doing here, there and everywhere, but um, I'm not going to be actively pursuing things or, you know, I, I need to, I need to take the time. Yeah. And that's something I find hard to do because I like, obviously I want to be achieving and be successful and stuff and it's not about me though for this time yes, it's about yeah. it's about the baby so well it's kind of good then that the book is in January because you know yeah. you know that your name and everything will be propelled into the spotlight yeah. and definitely in January um yeah. and it's something that you have definitely happening then that you can yes. kind of well that works done already and that would be out then yes yeah no so true now the timing is really good actually so everything works out for a reason everything is happens when it's meant to happen and I really do like I'm not a very like spiritually person but I do think that things happen for a reason mm, that's actually one of my questions but it didn't even come up <laughs> <laughs> you've answered it already um well Caroline thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you so much for having me I really enjoyed it and I love your format and your, your technique it's very um very exciting and so much more than just your, your <laughs> average chat so thank you thank you Caroline
Thank you for listening to Fail Harder today. I would really appreciate if you could help spread the word about the podcast and share it, subscribe, uh, rate and review it. It all really, really helps. Thank you. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.